If you're turning your Bibles to 1 Peter, the first chapter, for whatever reason, I trust this of the Lord, I've had some of these basic truths and basic doctrines on my mind lately. And I would like to share what's on my mind regarding one particular subject tonight that's found in 1 Peter 1 and 2. And I anticipate that I'll probably speak some more on some of these basic truths. I don't think we can hear them enough. Now, I will say this. If that's all you ever heard, then you're not hearing the whole counsel of God. But as we see through the scripture, Peter in particular, who constantly tells us in his writings, remember, 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 we need to go back to the basics. And so hopefully tonight, if you have heard this many times, well, then you can rejoice again and seeing that the, the plane is still flying in the direction it should be flying in on the right trajectory, we trust. And if you are new to it, then hopefully we can rejoice in that. And I hope that it will be fresh to all of us. As Peter said, he was a begotten again to a lively hope. And I hope that the message will begat us again to the lively hope, the living hope that we have through Christ. So let's read in 1 Peter 1 as we consider the elect tonight. 1 Peter 1 and verse 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now, I do believe that verse 2 contains one of the most simple and succinct statements about our salvation. He tells us who we are, in verse 2, and he also tells us how we became who we are. The Trinity, the Father, the Spirit, and the work of Christ is in that one simple little verse, and I love it. If you ever need a verse to refer people to, a one verse reference, then this is it. Because this tells us some great things. It's very simple. And I want to address the first thing that is mentioned there, which is the elect. And so let's ask the question, who is writing this? Who is he writing to? And what does it mean? Okay. And so we know that it's Peter writing, who was an apostle. He was a a retired fisherman of fish, if you will. And he is employed as a fisher of men now with the Lord. This is that apostle who denied Jesus those three times the night that before he went to the cross the next day. This is that apostle that was so zealous and always outspoken. This is that Peter who spoke up often. Sometimes he stick his foot in his mouth. Sometimes he got it right. But we have here Peter, the apostle, writing to us and telling us about our salvation. So the reason I point that out is we need to listen. This is a guy who walked with Jesus. You know, I didn't walk with Jesus. I, I'm not, I can never be an apostle. And furthermore, there are no more apostles today, you understand. The apostles were chosen men selected by God. See, in John 15 and 16, which is a beautiful picture of our own salvation, he says, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. Now, there were other people who were disciples, but they were not apostles. You would see some of the women, like Mary Magdalene and others, who were disciples, but they were not apostles, Jesus selected whom he pleased to be the apostles as special representatives of him. So we need to listen to Peter. 
We need to listen to the apostles as they speak of the truths that Jesus relayed to them. They are, listen, you've heard of maybe of primary references when it comes to history. Well, these men are primary references when it comes to history. These, this book right here, this Bible does not have to be uh, authenticated, when it, at least not right now. It does not have to be authenticated when it comes to court proceedings. That's why people will often, uh, very often, you'll see somebody being sworn in and they'll sometimes put their hand on the Bible or they'll be inaugurated and they'll put their hand on the Bible. You see, a Bible is, an, it is already authenticated. It is an accepted document. So you don't have to question, well, is this for real? This is, this is primary reference for first-hand account of history. These men were with Jesus. So we need to listen to what they have to say. And if what they say is different than what we have heard, we need to be encouraged to put away what we have heard and take what they say if it contradicts. And now he's writing to, it says in verse 1, the strangers, that means those people that belong to God, you know, strangers and pilgrims is, is a reference to God's people. He says that in the book of Hebrews. They confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That means they, the, they are foreigners when it comes to the earth. That means the earth is not their home, not their true home. It's just a temporary home. And so Peter says, I'm writing to those people that understand that the earth is just a temporary home. You're just a foreigner and your true home is in heaven. Scattered throughout certain area there that you can see it if you look on a map, especially an Old Testament uh, and a Bible map, you can see where he's talking about. And then he describes these strangers as elect. Now that's our term tonight, the elect of God. Um, I, want to under, I want you to understand one of the reasons it's so important to know these terms and to be able to speak these terms. It's because... These are simple terms that are found in the Scripture. It doesn't matter if they have passed out of vogue in the modern denominational world. If these apostles speak them and they're in the Scripture, we should be familiar with them. And again, it's not for the purpose of argument. I grew up in a mindset of argument. And I, I've, as I've said many times, I've never converted anybody to the truth by arguing. Now, I have debated and I don't mean in an ugly way or a harsh way. I have bantered back and forth with people. Well, what about this? And they say, well, what about this? Well, what about this? But there's a huge difference between speaking the truth in love and speaking the truth in arguing, in an argumentative way. So we want to understand the purpose of this is for our education in the Scripture, just like you would study biology or history or English or whatever, whatever you would study so that you can become acquainted with it. That's what this is all about. And that's one of the reasons we need to continue to go back to it. And also, the Scripture is like a diamond. You know, you can, look at something, you can look at something in the Scripture that you looked at a thousand times, and you can still see something beautiful if the Spirit of the Lord is blessing. Like looking at that diamond at different angles. It's just beautiful from all directions. Now listen to this. This is the definition of the Greek word in the Scripture of elect. This is the Greek word definition. It means to select by implication a favorite or a chosen. And it comes from a root word that means to make a choice or choose out. Now, I cannot believe that I've never looked at this definition in Webster's 1828 before. But just not long before we got here, I looked at this definition. And it's amazing because it almost covers my entire subject tonight. Now, this is Webster's 1828 dictionary. And I want you to think about this term that was listed in there and, and how 
it's almost just passe. I mean, it's just like this was a given <laughs> the way that he listed. It was just a given back in 1828 that everybody understood this. One of the definitions in Webster's 1828 di- dictionary says in theology, elect means to designate, choose or select as an object of mercy or favor. I like that definition because there is a tendency to think there is an automatic, almost like a pre-programmed tendency in, the, in our natural minds to think, well, you're chosen and I'm not. What makes you special? <laughs> and the answer to that is nothing makes me special in and of myself. It's God that makes you special. It's his very choosing that makes you special. That's why you'll always find mercy associated with the choosing of God. That is a key to be able to discuss it even. Because there are times that you may be accused, well, you think you're one of those chosen. What's so special about you? And you can say nothing. There's nothing special about me. As a matter of fact, I wonder myself, why did God choose me? When he looked, I know it wasn't because of anything I did. And when you see my nature and what I am in my nature, I would think, why would would God ever choose me? So it took Christ's work to make you special. That's what's special about you. It's Christ's work. You see, Christ's work applied to you makes you special. Now watch as we continue. I'm not through yet. Listen to this. Webster goes on and says, to choose, to prefer, to determine in favor of. Chosen, taken by preference from among two or more. Hence, in theology, chosen as the object of mercy. It's in there twice. Watch this now. Chosen, selected, or designated to eternal life. Predestinated in the divine councils. So right there you can see somebody other than Old Baptist was using the term predestination back in at least 1828 when Webster put his dictionary out. Isn't that great? (laughs) Predestinated in the divine councils. He goes on. Chosen in the scriptures and in theology, this word is generally used as a noun, which is our word tonight. Peter writes to the elect. That's a noun. One chosen or set apart, applied to Christ. And and he quotes, this is in Webster, Isaiah 42 and 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. Chosen or designated by God to salvation. Predestinated to glory as the end and to sanctification as the means. Usually with a plural signification, the elect. And then he quotes from Luke 18. Shall not God avenge his own elect? And then he quotes from Matthew 24. Then he quotes from Matthew 24 in another spot. And he closes out and he says, Chosen, set apart as a peculiar church and people applied to the Israelites in Isaiah 45. And Webster, unbeknownst to me, basically got all of my scriptures that I was going to refer to tonight. Listen, Webster was not an old, old Baptist. He was not a primitive Baptist. I think that's significant. Because there have been more than just primitive Baptists that believe these truths in years gone by. Now let's consider the occurrences of elect. That's the definition. Let's consider the occurrences. And I'm going to turn to several verses of Scripture. If you like to flip there, if you like to write them down, that's up to you. Matthew 24 and 22. Out of his own mouth, Christ refers to the elect. Matthew 24 and 22. Jesus is telling about a terrible time that will come upon Jerusalem. And I think it's interesting that... Not for 
any particular, not for the sake of anything other than the elect, does he say that these days would be shortened? In Matthew 24 and 22, and we're jumping right into it. He says, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So whatever that means, and I think we know what it means, but whatever it means, the Lord is using his elect as a basis for shortening those days. Mercy comes because the elect are under consideration, not because of who is in power, not because of who is running for office, not because of the government issues going on or politics, but because of his chosen people, the Lord says for their sakes, I'm going to show mercy and shorten those days. Now look just a few verses down in verse 31. Jesus, actually three times in Matthew 24, he refers to the elect. We're going to skip one of those in in verse 31. And watch this. This is glorious. It says, he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I've said before, this is just a little side note. If you read the account in the book of Mark, when he speaks of one end of the heavens to the other, if somebody's in an airplane, God's got them covered. If somebody's on the moon, if there's a little colony living on Mars, which seems crazy, but from one end of heaven to the other, the Lord's going to gather his elect. You see? Look at Luke 18. We're going to brush through these pretty quickly, but look at Luke 18. I want you to see the times that Jesus refers, at least specifically, to the elect. Now, there's other times he refers to the elect, but he doesn't use the term elect. He uses a different, some different terms. But in Luke 18 and 7, it says, as Jesus has given the parable of the widow who was praying for relief from the unjust judge, who finally, because he got so tired of this widow coming, he finally said, okay, okay, I'll give you what you're asking for. And in verse 7, Jesus out of his own mouth says, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? The word avenge right there means to vindicate. He says, shall not God avenge or vindicate his own chosen people, though he bear long with them? Look at Romans 8 and 33. We move away from Jesus referring directly to the elect and we look at the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. Just past those great truths there that are listed of the Lord foreknowing us, the Lord predestinating us, the Lord calling us, which is the new birth, the Lord justifying us by the work of Christ. The Lord glorifying us one day at the end of time. He says in verse 31, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Child of God, as an elect of God, as a chosen of God, you cannot be charged. And what that's talking about is, it doesn't mean you couldn't be charged with a crime if you committed a crime here in, in, in the world. You can't go around saying, well, I can't be charged. I can rob a bank. I can do whatever I want. No, he's talking about an eternal condemnation. You cannot be eternally charged and condemned because you're under the work of God, under the blood of Christ. Now, I think that really flies in the face of a lot of, of modern thinking because people think, well, because of what I have done, 
and because of how I have acted and the choices I have made that I'm secure. Have you ever wondered why so many people spend so much time rededicating and rededicating? Brother Luke has talked to us about that multiple times, how he accepted the Lord and rededicated so many times just to make sure. You see, that's because they're, they're operating under the mindset of themselves doing something to not be charged. But, but child of God, when you're resting in the blood and the work of Christ, you know that you cannot be charged because of the blood and the work of Christ. That's for the elect. Now look at 2 John 1 and 1. And this is a, a little bit different. I think maybe one time through the years have I ever referred to this in a sermon many, many years ago, but I think it makes a great point. 2 John 1 and verse 1. Listen to what John says. The elder, that's John, writing unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. He, he refers to this specific individual woman as an elect person. You know, to me, that just warms my heart to think about not only does the term elect apply to all of God's chosen people. Yes, it does. But it also applies to me individually. <laughs> You know, over there in Psalms 14 and Psalms 53, it talks about how the Lord looked down upon the children of men and he saw, saw that they were all gone astray. And then in the other account, it says every one of them, every single one of them as a, as a group of people, they have gone astray, the entire human race. And there's nothing good about them outside of God's work. Not only have they collectively gone away from God, but they individually, specifically have gone away from God. So there's none good. And this right here makes me think of it in the opposite way. <laughs> you know, not only has God chosen a people that is a huge number of people out of the kindreds and tribes and tongues of this world, but He specifically has chosen me. He specifically chosen you. And as John referred to this woman in holy writ, Inspired scripture, he said, to the elect lady. I think that is a term of honor, is it not? That you don't want to go around thumbing your lapels and say, yeah, I'm, I'm the elect brother Tim. <laughs> That's not something that you would go ascribing to yourself. But it, it, we need to think about how that applies to us specifically and individually. Now, one last place in referencing the elect in the scripture. Look at Revelation 17 and 14. I don't think I've ever referred to this one before, but I like it. <laughs> And I think the overwhelming picture that you get in the first part of the verse may cause you to overlook what comes in the second part. Revelation 17 and 14. It says, these shall make war with the Lamb. Is it going to be a fight? I've heard Brother Buddy preach about that before, and I like the way he puts it. There's not even a fight here. <laughs> the Lamb shall overcome them. You know, all these wicked men show up to fight the Lord. There's no battle. See? The Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Don't you want to be in that group? <laughs> I sure want to be in that group of chosen because you're covered by the one who protects you. That's the Lamb of God. Now I want you to see how this term elect applies to Christ. If you look in Luke 23... In verse 35, and I'll be happy to give you a list of these scriptures later. Luke 23 and 35, even the enemies of Christ apply this term to Christ. Even the enemies knew that the term elect or chosen applied to Christ as the chosen one of God. 
In Luke 23 and verse 35, Jesus is hanging on the cross and the people that stood beholding and the rulers also with them derided him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. You see that? So even the enemies knew that the Christ was going to be the chosen of God. Now, 1 Peter 2 is the same book that we're looking at tonight. 1 Peter 2 and chapter 2 and verses 4 through 6 carry some detailed information about Christ as the chosen one. If you'll look there, 1 Peter 2 and verse 4, he says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God. This is talking about Christ. And precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect, precious. You see, that's a reference to Jesus. Isaiah 42 and 1, which Webster referred to in his definition. He's, he snagged my verse a long time ago. He said, Behold, my elect, in whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus was referred to as the elect, the capital E, elect of God. So I want you to know that it's a good thing to be referred to as the elect of God. If Christ is the elect, you definitely want to be an elect. And you say, well, does that mean I can get in to become an elect? If you want to be an elect, it means you already are an elect. If, if somebody says, well, I wonder if I'm saved. The very fact that they ask the question, I wonder if I'm saved, means they are saved. I wonder if I'm an elect. If you wonder that you are, it means that you are. It's evidence that you are. And that's a good thing. I'm telling you, Peter wondered if he was an elect, especially after those days that he denied Jesus. Can you imagine the state that that man was in after denying Christ three times and then hiding like a scared little puppy for those three days? And even after the resurrection, he still was unsure. Don't you know Peter thought, there's no way I can be one of his chosen. I just denied him. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> I think that, how could I be one of his chosen? How could I be one of his children? As bad as I have acted, as much sin as I have committed. And the very question of asking that indicates that you are one of his. So, this term elect is applied to Christ. Side note, it's also applied to Israel, Isaiah 45 and 4. And, and it's, an, it's a very... Well taken point of a side note because it ties into something I'm fixing to share with you. God referred to Israel, the nation of Israel, as his chosen, as his elect nation, the chosen, selected, favored nation. Okay, the reason that's important is because when Jesus comes along and in verses of scripture like John 3.16, he is expanding the minds of the Jews to understand that God's people are not just among the Israelites, but they are among all nations, all of the places, that, all of the people in the world. God has a people. And I'm going to tell you, that type of expansionist thinking, which was also in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember? Remember how Jesus expanded their thinking? He gave the true meaning of the law. He said, you've heard that it's a sin that it's wrong to commit adultery. He said, I, I, he said, the true meaning of the law, the true nature of the law, is it's wrong to look upon a woman to lust. You see, they were into the letter of the law. Jesus was the writer of the law, and so therefore he went beyond the letter of the law. And so he comes along and he starts telling these chosen nation Jews, God's got more chosen people 
then you understand. It's not just among the Israelites. And this was the thing that the apostles struggled with too. Because, you know, Peter said, Lord, Peter spoke back. Peter talked back to the Lord. You like it when your kids talk back to you? I don't. I don't like it. But Peter was a kid that talked back to the Lord. His holy parent. The Lord said, Peter, I want you to go and preach to these Gentiles, non-Jews. And Peter was like, not so, Lord. I've never touched anything common or unclean. (laughs) He talked back to the Lord. And the Lord said, don't call unclean what I have cleansed. You see? This This was expansionist thinking for the Israelites, for the Jews. Because they thought they were the chosen people. They thought you had to descend from Abraham and have a bloodline from Abraham to go to heaven. I'm going to tell you today, as we look at this term of the elect, in the modern denominational world, this is expansionist thinking. It expands the mind to understand that the Lord is not, does not tie His salvation to a choice that we make, see, or to a thought that we have. Or to a prayer that we pray or a baptism that we have. The Lord doesn't tie His salvation to that. He ties our salvation to His Son. You see? Thank goodness. That's the way you want it to be if you understand Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. That there's none that can approach unto God. I believe, I think you'll agree with me that Peter had this understanding in mind. Of all people, Peter would have understood this. The one that forsook the Lord. So you see, this was expansionist thinking that Jesus comes along and relays to the people of Israel. Now, let's have let's have as we close here tonight, let's have a little discussion or I'll have the discussion and you can just listen. Let's just have a little talk about what this term means in the scripture. Okay, it's not just always found as the elect in Matthew 24. He says, my elect will be gathered. The angels will be sent and gather the elect. In Ephesians 1 and 4, we read where it says, according as He hath chosen us. We, as children of God, are the chosen of God. That's a synonymous term, right? I mean, as a matter of fact, the word elect means to select or choose. And Paul said, according as He, the Lord, has chosen us. See? Jesus also refers in John 10, and uh, let's just look there in John 10 and 14, He refers to the elect or to the chosen as His sheep. (laughs) That's a very endearing term, especially as he presents himself as the shepherd, the great shepherd. Listen to this in John 10 and verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. You want to be one of those sheep, right? If he's laying down his life... I pray to the good Lord that we, we are one of those sheep. I understand that we are in the fold of God. See, because we desire to be in the fold of God, we're in the fold of God. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Is there any possibility that the sheep won't hear his voice if he says, they shall hear my voice? It's impossible. And therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. You turn over to the next few verses, and you see where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. Is there any possibility? They won't. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. These are absolutes, brothers and sisters. These are things that cannot happen any other way. Why? Because our Heavenly Father, our, the Son of God, the Spirit, they said so. They shall never perish. Now, 
Look at John the 6th chapter. You knew I, I couldn't speak about this without going to John 6th chapter. There's just no way. John the 6th chapter. Very quickly it says in verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. The elect are the chosen. The chosen are the sheep. The sheep are the ones that the Father has given. Okay? And He says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Is there any possibility that they're not going to come to Him? And the people were very offended by this. They said, Isn't this Joseph's son? What's he talking about? (laughs) The Lord says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing. So He says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and all that the Father giveth me, none will be lost. And the people murmured. They said, I don't know if we like that. That's what people do today. Did you know that? If they've never heard it. They murmur. I don't know about that now. now where does man fit into that? He doesn't. <laughs> where, do, where does my choice or my work or what I do fit into that? It doesn't. It doesn't fit into that. Now our works and being a disciple and all those things, they have their place. But it doesn't fit into this scenario right here. How, you say, how do you, can we be for sure, Brother Tim? Yes, we can. The people murmured and they didn't like what he said. And he, he says to them, murmur not among yourselves, verse 43, no man can come to me. He said, all the Father giveth me shall come to me and I will lose none of those that come to me, but no man can come to me. And thank God for exceptions, except the Father which has sent me draw him. So you see, God does all of this. And the reason that's important is not just so that we can be right in our theology and everybody else be wrong. That's not the point. The point is the glory of God. You see, it's it's glorifying to God for Him to say, no man can come to me, but when I draw a man, he shall come to me. You say, well, what is that really talking about? It's talking about the new birth. (laughs) It says it is the Spirit that quickeneth in verse 63. So summarize what that says there now. All that are given to the Son are the elect, are the chosen, are the sheep. And Jesus said, they shall come to me. But none of them can come to me unless and except the Father draws them to me and they shall all be drawn to me. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. He says, therefore, that's why I said unto you that no man can come to me. That's verse 65. I'm telling you this, he says, so you can understand this is my work. (laughs) And he goes through that chapter saying, I'm the bread of life. Except a man eat of me and drink of my blood. They're not talking about vampires there, kids. (laughs) He's talking about the fact that if we're not part of the body and the blood of Jesus and His sacrifice, then we're lost. But he says, I will make sure that everyone that I have chosen, everyone that's my elect, everyone that's my sheep, all that the Father gave me in the covenant of redemption before the foundation of the world, I'll make sure they get to me. So who gets the glory? That's what it comes down to. Well, this is just uh, dealing with uh, whether or not you're right or you're wrong. or I'm wrong, Brother Tim. No, it's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of God. Does God get all the glory in that scenario? I tell you, He does. But if you put man into that and say, man's got to do this, man's got to do that, then man gets a little bit of glory. God will share His glory with no man. Only the mediator, only the man Christ Jesus, who is the God-man, Gets the glory. Now, think about Luke, the fourth chapter, with me for just a. Oh, one minute. My goodness. Think about this with me for one minute, okay? In Luke, the fourth chapter, Jesus' first sermon there in the synagogue, 
And they're all scowling at him and wondering what he's going to say. And what does he talk to them about? He talks to them about a choosing, an electing. He says there were many widows in the days of the famine, in the days of Elijah, but unto none of them, many widows in Israel, unto none of them was sent Elijah, but unto the widow of Zarepta. He said there were many lepers in Israel in the days when Naaman the Syrian, Elisha was, uh, he was sent to Elisha and was healed of his leprosy. And those people were so happy to hear that, weren't they? About the electing of God, about the choosing of God, about the sovereignty of God. They were so happy to hear about that, that they led him out to the brow of the hill and was about to cast him off the brow of the hill. People in their nature do not like the sovereignty and the choice of God. But sinners in the Spirit of God will have it no other way. You see? So I ask you this as we close. My minute is up. How does it seem to you when it comes to being elect? The Lord says, for the sake of the elect, He shortened those terrible days that are referred to in the Matthew the 24th chapter. The Lord says that He will vindicate you as His chosen, as His elect one day. He may even give you vindication now. If you, if you pray to Him like the widow went before the unjust judge, the Lord's not an unjust judge. He loves His children. Shall not He avenge His elect? See? There can be no charges brought against you. There's no condemnation to go to hell. There's no need for rededication. There's no need for re-repentance. Now listen, I'm, we, we go on repenting day after day after day, serving the Lord in discipleship. What I mean is, whenever the Lord has turned your heart and you've been born again, that's a one-time thing and it's forever. No charges can ever be brought against you. Oh, get, get this. For the gathering, the great gathering one day, it's for the elect. He says he will gather his elect. You know, that word gather, I didn't give this to you a while ago, but uh, that word gather, it means to bring everyone together in a specific place. Won't that be great? All of God's children will be brought together in a specific place, and we know that place is heaven. And for the individual application to you, John said, I write to the elect lady. The Lord looks at you and He sees you individually as the elect lady, the elect gentleman, the elect brother, the elect sister, the elect child, the elect old person. You just fill in the blank of who you are. Specifically, it applies to you. Why is it so important? It's about His glory. We've looked at the, the basic, fundamental it's a given kind of teaching in the Scripture of the elect tonight. It's a term that we need to know. It's a term that we need to be versed in. It's something that we need to continue to look at. And next, I hope that we'll look at more about how they became the chosen, how they became the elect, the sheep, those that were given to the Father. And that's what's found in 1 Peter 1 and 2. It says the, the Father had something to do with it, the Spirit had something to do with it, and the Son has something to do with it. We'll look at that, Lord willing, next time. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in obedience and discipleship, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing. Brother Jim, you have a, a number.